Well, as we come this morning, we want to hear from God. And I recognize as you came in this morning, every one of us brought some problems. Now, some of our problems or troubles, they're on the side of an irritation. They're just bothering you, right? They're, they're just kind of like a, a little thorn that just keeps pricking you now and then. But some of us have, have problems that are, are, are way bigger. And you came in carrying that this morning. The thing that we all know, though, though we may not articulate it, is that our problems, our troubles are relative, aren't they? So let's just say, for example, and we don't need to use a lot of examples, let's just use one. You come walking in and, and you're just burdened with a financial problem. It, it's overwhelmed you all week. And your heart is heavy, you don't see a way forward, and you've struggled. Fair enough. Until you look across the aisle and you see someone with pancreatic cancer and they've got a month to live. And all of a sudden you recognize, whoa, yeah, my financial problem is big and it's heavy, but it's a lot different than what this other person is facing, right? So, so there's a sense in which these problems are relative. But what I want to bring us into is in the book of Romans, it lays out the biggest problem every human being faces. And I know in the back of your mind you're saying, what is it? Well, let's look at it this morning. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to Romans Romans chapter 10, we're moving through the book. And as we look at Romans chapter 10, we are now on the second half of it, verse 14. But I want to actually back up into verse 13. That's where we ended last week. And so we want to go from 13 all the way to the end of the chapter. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without preaching, someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Again I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses said, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. And I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Father, as we study your word this morning... There's some things in here that are just crystal clear. They, they pop out and say, I get that. But clearly there's some things in here that 
little difficult, little strange from the way we might say it. So God, we're asking for your spirit to move, to bring clarity, to bring power. And God, most of all, most of all, to change our hearts, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so God, we seek you in this moment for these gifts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. Of course, as as we look this morning at this passage, the first thing I want to say is the world needs to hear the good news. The world needs to hear the good news, right? So that's what we were kind of talking about last week even, was verse 13 is saying, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then this morning we said, well, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are those whose feet bring the good news to so many others. It's it's just beautiful. Of course, when we hear that phrase, good news, right? It stands in contrast to bad news. Except Paul hasn't said those words, bad news, but it stands in contrast to that. And so when I say what is the problem, the biggest problem facing every human being, we begin to recognize that that is the bad news. And the bad news, as we saw back in chapter 1, and chapter 2, chapter 3 of Romans, is that all of us, without exception, have sinned against a holy God. Every one of us have turned away from God's plan at some point. You know that I like to often refer to it as rebellion. Every one of us have rebelled against God. And the Bible tells us, as we saw in Romans, that we are by nature rebels. And we are rebels by choice. So we have this issue of what's going on. And as we think about it, sin is always and ultimately against God. Sin is always and ultimately against God. Every time we rebel, every time we go our own direction away from God's, it is ultimately against God. And and you remember David, King David, he took another man's wife, and when he got caught in the trap of being with Bathsheba, what did he do? He had her husband killed, and as the husband was killed, and as God would unfold the plan, remember what David said, against you and you alone have I sinned, right? So sin is ultimately and always against God. But here's another thing that all of us need to walk out of here knowing is that sin is universal. Sin is universal. Nobody escapes it. Nobody is outside of it. We're all born into it, except for one person, Jesus Christ. Finally, let me just say sin is pervasive. Sin permeates every part of our being it breaks in controls and that's why paul calls it like this power that is working within us now that is in the vertical right and we've talked about this before so i'm just doing a quick review here is that this is in the vertical is that between us and god all of us have rebelled all of us have sinned but when we start looking at it on the horizontal level what it says is that all of us without exception are selfish. We're prone to self-centeredness. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we would just be honest with ourselves and live in reality, it's a hard thing to do today, isn't it? 
<laughs> There's so many people creating their own realities in so many directions, but if we could live in the reality of what God says is true, then we know that we are selfish and self-centered. We're full of self. And so the problem that I'm really trying to address this morning is God's wrath. The wrath of God is being revealed or is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. That's what we saw in Romans 1.18. Against all ungodliness, all unrighteousness. Right? And as we unpack what those words mean, we recognize that God has a plan and we have rebelled against it. We have resisted. We have wanted our own way. Paint it any way you want. Certainly there's some people, and maybe some of us here, you know, we were shaking our fist at God. Others of us, it's more of a, a, a passive rebellion. I, being indifferent to God. And we want to turn and go the other way. God just calls all of that sin. He just calls all of that rebellion. And His wrath, His wrath, is being poured out against all of it. So while someone may have pancreatic cancer, while someone may have big financial problems, while someone may have work problems and marital problems, and the list can be long, the hands down greatest problem in the world is that everyone is under the wrath of God apart from Jesus Christ. And then look what he says, they suppress the truth. They, they resist it. They push it down. They ignore it over and over again. And so as we look at this, this becomes significant. Now when you hear that, you probably say, whoa, Pastor Tom, chill out. <laughs> that sounds awfully harsh. Who wants to live with that kind of understanding, right? And as we think about that, it seems unfair that God would say that we're rebels by nature and that His wrath is coming down. And of course, we saw that very question, didn't we? We saw that. This comes out of Romans chapter 3. He says, the God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is He? In other words, it can't be right that God would do that. Now, I'm just doing review. You'd have to go back to when we studied Romans 3 and you can see that message. And Paul says, no way, may it never be. God cannot be unjust. God cannot be unrighteous. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? And so his point is clear. God stands over you and me. He stands over everyone in the world. He stands as king and he stands as judge. Nobody is going to escape their judgment. It doesn't matter if they deny it. It doesn't matter. And we're going to find out if they say, hey, I didn't know. Wait till we see what God has to say to those who say, I didn't know. Because the point is, is that God's going to judge the whole world. And so when we see this greatest problem of God's wrath, we need to be serious about addressing it. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing. Let's look at one more comment that Paul wrote. He says, why there is this resistance against God? He says, because of the stubbornness and the unrepentant hearts. Here's how I say it. People want what they want. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I want what I want. I don't like my wife anymore. I want that woman. I want what I want. 
You've got something I want, I'm going to get it. Maybe I'll steal it, maybe I'll take it, but I want what I want. God says, don't do this, I want to do that, I'm going to do it. I want what I want. People live in a want way. I want what I want. And then all of a sudden, as we see today in the 21st century, I want what I want, we live in an unreality. Think about that for a moment. I'm created male, but I want to be female. I want what I want, and I go for it regardless of what God says. And God simply calls that there's a stubbornness of heart and what we have created, what we have created is a reality that does not exist. And when you live in a reality that does not exist, you're going to crash at some point, at some time. And we are on a collision course. So what Paul says, as he's written here, is he's gone on, because of your stubbornness of heart, your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself. See, what he's turning it is you, because of what you want, and you don't want what God wants, you're going to experience the wrath on the day of God's wrath. The day of God's wrath. Can I just tell you when that's going to be? It's going to be the day when Jesus Christ returns. He's coming back as king, and he's coming back as judge, and he's coming back with a full fury against people living in unrealities, people living in this stubborn, obstinate place. And we're going to stand, as it says, in a place before him, and righteous judgment will be revealed. So, when I take this, I take this seriously because what Paul is bringing us into in this chapter is that there is something going on that many people don't see, but you and I know because we talk about it in the Scriptures. So let's go a little further. Is that God's love satisfied. There was something you and I could not do. We could not satisfy. We could not propitiate. We could not remove this wrath of God that's being poured out on unrighteousness. Try as hard as you want. Be as good as you want. Give as much money as you can. Come to church as often as you can. Spare nothing, giving it all to God, you will not remove the wrath of God. You cannot do it. It's impossible. What it is, is that it gets removed through Jesus Christ. Amen? This is a good time. If you're able to speak, say amen. Amen. Because this is the hope of the world. Jesus Christ. And we can't be afraid to proclaim it. Because as we read this passage, God is telling us something profound this morning. It's Jesus Christ who took your sin, He took my sin, and He stood condemned. So when you see pictures of Christ, and you see Him bleeding, you see the thorns on His head, just remember, it was because of your rebellion and my rebellion. It was because of your obstinate heart and my obstinate heart. It was because of my unrepentant heart and your unrepentant heart that Jesus Christ stood before a watching world condemned, taking on the wrath of God and freeing you and me and anyone else who believes in Jesus Christ. So, as we say, the cross 
upholds the justice of God. So let's be really clear. God could take his celestial broom and sweep it under the rug, and you say, no, God can't, because that would make him an unjust God. He couldn't take his big broom and sweep your garbage and my garbage, my stuff and your stuff, all those things in the closet and sweep it under the rug, because then he would be an unjust God. But what he did was he said, I got a better plan. Let me take all of it and put it on my son. And then Jesus cries out as he's taking your garbage and my garbage and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that time, all the wrath of God was being poured out upon Jesus Christ so that you and I could find and have a place in heaven. This is an amazing moment in history. Even the people that were eyewitnesses at the moment just cried out as there was an earthquake, as Jesus gave up his spirit. The curtain that was between the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple tore in two and graves broke open and people walked out all because of Jesus Christ. It's the cross. That's why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Let me be careful here. Don't be taken in by slick speakers. If they're too slick by half, be careful. Nothing wrong with great preaching. But be careful. The Apostle Paul says, my message and my preaching were not by persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So when you walk out of here, I don't want to hear, oh, Pastor Tom gave a great message or Pastor Tom gave a lousy message. Doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. What matters is that your faith doesn't rest on me, but it rests on the power of God. And that's where the church is being led astray by so many. We love celebrities, and the day of celebrity has got to come to an end because there's only one Jesus Christ, only one. So it's the cross that upholds the justice of God. That's where Paul goes strong. But let me just say one more thing. He says, why is the good news so beautiful? Or let me say it, why is the good news so beautiful? The wrath of God is poured out against all rebellion that's hostile to him. And there's only one power. Don't be deceived. And it's not you. It's not your goodness. It's not how much money you give. It's not how many people you help. It's not where you serve. It's none of that. It's all overcome by the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the cross that is good news. And let the church of Jesus Christ never forget it. Let us never forget where the power really lies. It's in Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about this, verse 13 again, 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? That's where we left off this last week. That's where we begin this week. And then we get into four questions. And the four questions become really, really significant. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can your neighbor, how can your sister, your brother, your family member call on someone they have not believed in? You see how he's preaching? You see how Paul's writing here? And then he goes, well, how can they believe? in whom they have not heard. How can they believe if they've not heard who Jesus Christ is? How can they hear if there's no one to preach to them? And then he goes on and asks, well, how can they, anyone preach unless they are sent? Notice the logical connections. Let's put it in reverse. There's got to be a preacher. There's got to be someone to hear. So there's preaching, then there's hearing. After they hear, they're either going to choose either to believe in Christ or reject Jesus Christ. People do what they want to do. People do what they want to do. And then, once they believe, once this impulse is in them by the power of the Spirit, they call on the name of the Lord. Notice the logical connections. Well, let me hit my second point here this morning. Not everyone will believe the good news. You know that and I know that, right? Not everyone will believe the good news. That's what Paul says in verse 16. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Well, why not? Why not? Just put it into your own family. Put it into your own circle of friends. Put it the same reasons as Paul lays out here. The first thing he lays out is the question in verse 18. Here's the question. Did Israel not hear. Did Israel not hear? Do you see that in verse 18? Did they not hear? And what does Paul say? Of course they heard. Of course they did. That's what he says. Their voice has gone out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. Now, it's an amazing thing. We don't have time to really unfold all of what he's saying here, but he's quoting Psalm 19 that's talking about what we read in Romans chapter 1, that the world displays the power of God. Where does the beauty come from? Where does moral attributes come from why does anybody love anybody because this was created scientifically somehow we evolved into some moral creature somehow we turn into people that love or don't love these are moral attributes and what God is saying is that all of this just read Psalm 19 it's being poured out and so what he's saying is the Israelites heard this they had the law that's teaching all of this so they heard but what did they do they do what a lot of people do. Well, let's wait. Verse 20. Did Israel not understand? So first excuse is, did they not hear? And he says, no, they heard. And then he says, did they not understand? And he quotes Deuteronomy 32, Moses. He says, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. How do you make someone envious if they don't understand? They understand. That's how come they're going to be envious. And they didn't want the idea that these Gentiles, these non-Jews would be coming into the kingdom. So God says, I'm going to make you envious. Oh, they understood. They just didn't want his plan. Did I tell you people do what they want to do? 
See, that's what's going on here. Then he goes on and quotes Isaiah, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. He's revealing himself to the Gentiles, these non-Jews, and they're saying, yes, there is a God. And they're responding while Israel is making excuses. Did they not hear? No, they heard. They just weren't listening. You know why they weren't listening? Oh, did I tell you? People do what they want to do. They didn't want what God had to say about life and love and marriage and sex and sexuality. They wanted it their own way. Well, God gets the final word, doesn't he? Look at the last question. What did God say concerning Israel? All day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Is that not a beautiful expression? All day long, the Father in heaven is extending a hand to people. You know why He did that? Because He loves them. And He loves to love them. You know why I say it that way? He doesn't love you because you're so beautiful. He didn't love you because you're so handsome and surely you're beautiful people. Surely you're handsome. Surely you're gifted. Surely you're skilled. Surely you're wonderful people. I can see that. But God doesn't love you because of all that. He loves to love you, which means God chooses to love you in spite of our sin. And he says, all day long, this is coming out of Isaiah 65, all day long I've held out my hands. I want to go to the Lord's Supper. But before we do, before we do, you need to see yourself much like Israel. Do you have an obstinate, stubborn, disobedient heart. All of us at times do. So what I want to do is pray. I just want to pray for us right now before we even think about going to the Lord's Supper because I know you and I don't want to be like Israel. Tell me you don't want to be like Israel. Say no. I don't want to be like Israel stubborn and obstinate and disobedient. Father, we just come before you and we know that our hearts are prone to wander. We know that we struggle. But thank you that you haven't turned your back on us. Thank you that you extend your hand. You reach down and you give us a place to go with our garbage with that stubborn, obstinate, disobedient heart. God, would you speak to each person here right now? Would you speak to them and show them where they haven't seen their sin, their rebellion, their selfishness, would you open their eyes to the need they have for your son's death on the cross? his blood that was shed. 
And Father, let us not just go back to those big things that we've all done, we're embarrassed by, we're ashamed of. But let us just go where we were today, yesterday. Thoughts that we've had, attitudes we've carried. Bring us into your presence, Father. We need your grace. Bring us into your presence. Reveal your face. Show yourself in the midst of our garbage. Thank you that you don't blink. You don't blush at our sin. You walk right into it through the person of your son. Help us to see that. Help us to see there's nowhere to go. The world has no solution. There's no other religion in the world that offers full and final forgiveness and demonstrated it in a historical manner by a God-man dying on the cross. Help us bring it right now, God. Don't let us just confess. Let us repent. Let us acknowledge it as sin. Let's confess it as sin, but let's turn away from it, God. We need your power. We need your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You should have received some communion elements when you came in this morning. These elements aren't just to remind us of the past. They're to help us deal with the present. They're to help us deal with our garbage every day. If you think you can walk in your own power and live a sinless life, you're fooling yourselves. You're living in an unreality. What is happening right now is a holy moment. It's a sacred moment that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you and I could live differently each and every day. These elements are for right now. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want you to answer the question in your own heart. Do you need grace to live today? To love your spouse to love your kids, to love your extended family, to love your friends. Can we take it further? To love your enemies? Do you need that grace? I do. That's what these elements are about. So Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body that's going to be broken in order to make you whole again, to make you one with me and one with each other. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. As you know, 
and as I know, and most importantly, as God knows. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. There could be no way to satisfy a holy God with the kind of rebellion that we're talking about. But Jesus' blood could wipe us clean. A payment needed to be made, and Jesus did. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup, and he blessed it. And he said, I want to establish a new covenant with you. I want a new relationship with you. I want to bring you into the life of my spirit like you have never experienced. And he said, as often as you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Well, we went into the Lord's Supper with the picture of God holding out His hand. He's extending His hand to people that are drowning. He reaches out to those people that are trapped. Everyone needs a Savior. I skipped one verse. I want to go back to that. Verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. It's faith. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing the word. Faith, believing comes. People believe, not by persuasive words of wisdom. They believe when they see and hear the word of the message of Christ. How can anyone believe unless there is someone who is sent? And we have been sent. If you want your faith to grow, I'm assuming you do. If you want your faith to grow, you need to exercise your faith. Like a muscle. Let me just say it a little differently without a metaphor. If you want your faith to grow, you need to be obedient. I love what our sister said earlier in the interview. Faith and obedience. That's what we're talking about. Faith and obedience. There's a path. There's a preacher. There's people that need to hear. People, when they hear, will believe. And when they believe, they'll call on the name of the Lord. Do you believe? Do you believe in God the Father, the Creator of all? Do you believe in God the Son, the one who suffered and was crucified and rose? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you believe in eternal life through Jesus Christ? If you do, just repeat after me. I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Son. 
The one who suffered, crucified, and rose. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in eternal life through the Son. Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word. You have sent us because we believe. You have sent us into a world that needs to hear a message. And they can't call on You until they hear that message. Help us to be obedient. It says in John that as the Father sent the Son, so the Son sends us. Help us to be obedient to those in our inner circle, to those in the next bigger circle of our lives, and maybe even those further out. But let us be faithful. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.